Amen. Amen. Well, I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles this morning to John chapter 2, the Gospel of John in chapter 2 as we continue uh, following the footsteps of Jesus. And so we've been uh, tracking the chronological order of the life of Jesus. And as uh, uh, we've been doing this, we have been learning, you know, as uh, that old saying goes, that uh, what would Jesus do? But again, uh, how do we know what we would do if, uh, how, what Jesus would do? Uh, then we look in the Word of God, amen? And as we look in the Word of God and begin to understand uh, if we're going to ask what would Jesus do, we need to answer what did Jesus do, and then we follow those footsteps, amen? So we are following the footsteps of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to be looking at the very first miracle of Jesus. And so the very first miracle that Jesus performed, we find there in John chapter 2. And so as we take a look at this text of Scripture and recognize here it is, this phenomenal miracle that Jesus performed uh, that he had never done a miracle before, right? He had never done any of those things before, yet he could have because he was born as God, amen? As the Word of God tells us that as Jesus was born, uh, he was Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. He was God with us. And so he had always been God with us, yet his time had not come for him to begin to demonstrate uh, and show the world his glory and manifest his glory. But now that time has come. So as we look here in the Word of God, in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says right here, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples uh, were invited to the wedding. And so now it is, as we, we look at this text of Scripture, the Bible says it was on the third day. Now, uh, we could take that a whole bunch of different ways. Is it the third day of the wedding? Uh, was it the third day of the week? Well, if you look at chapter 1, uh, as we looked in that the past, past several weeks, it says uh, the, the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. Uh, we find that chronological order there, and now we find uh, on the third day. And so probably what ha took place is that Jesus had left there the shores of Jordan, where they were, where John the Baptist was, and now he had his disciples with him. His disciples were gathered together with him. It would have taken three days. It was a three-day walk to get to where they were in the Jordan, to get over to Canaan. Canaan, not far from where Jesus grew up, right by uh, Nazareth, just about nine miles up the road from Nazareth. And so it, it would have taken them about three days to get there. So now probably what the Word of God is talking about is three days later. There's a little bit of quiet time here. Uh, in the chronology of this, but now about three days later, on the third day, there was a wedding, the Bible says. And so Jesus comes to this wedding. His mother was there. And so as his mother was there, uh, Jesus came and Jesus was invited to this wedding. And Jesus brought along with him to this wedding his disciples. And so it, as we look at this, you know, a wedding was a very special event in, in biblical days. It's still a very special uh, event today. Somebody has a wedding. It's a great big celebration. Family come from all around. Friends come from all around. And it is a great celebration. It is a joyful time. But the weddings back then usually didn't last just a day. They were usually about a week long. They, they, the wedding would last about a week. And there was all kinds of aspects that surrounded the wedding and all kinds of things that would take place. And through that time, it was all a part of the celebration. And so as you see 
the celebration of the wedding uh, that is taking place, it goes on and uh, continues to tell us uh, in verse 3, it says, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, We have no wine. Now, what's interesting is here, first of all, here it is that Mary, the, the Bible says that, uh, that, that uh, Jesus was there and Jesus is in, and his disciples were invited to the wedding. But, but his mother was there, right? It doesn't say that his mother was invited to the wedding, but his mother was there. But then specifically it points out the fact that Jesus and his disciples were invited to come to the wedding. Well, the reason why I believe that it, that it is laying it out like this is probably because Mary was a part of the organization of the wedding, right? The mother of Jesus was part of this organization. And so when something went wrong, she came to her son. And as she came to her son... She said, we ran out of wine, right? Uh, they ran out of wine. So it would have been maybe a part of her responsibility to help uh, tend to the wedding. So this probably shows us that most likely uh, they were related to the individual. Again, they're about nine miles from Nazareth. So it's probably somebody that was a part of their family that Jesus comes and he's invited to the wedding, but his mother is already there, but his mother is helping uh, make sure things are running smoothly. You know, you always need that behind the scenes person amen that person that's behind the scenes saying you do this you do that never will forget after Katrina it was just a few days after Katrina there it was at uh, uh, our church uh, I was pastoring at the time Bethel Baptist Church up at Crossroads we were a Red Cross shelter and so we had all kinds of folks there and, uh, and uh, we ended up getting a lot of people coming to eat as well and so uh, as, as we uh, a lot of people realized they weren't, weren't going to have uh, electricity for a long time and so what they were doing they were leaving town and after they would leave town uh that what they would do before they would leave town they would bring us their deep freeze amen which ended up being a great blessing to us and i want to tell you what as horrible as katrina was we ate like kings and, and god really blessed us though because god sent us a lady that we'd never known before we didn't have any idea who she was prior to this but come to find out she used to run a kitchen she used to run a kitchen in a resort over in honduras and she, they would have about 500 people a day come through there. And so when she came in, boy, she got in that kitchen and she'd say, you do this, you do that, you do this. And I mean, she had everybody organized. She, she was behind the scenes and she, she had that kitchen running like a top and we were eating like kings. And so apparently that was, that's what Mary was doing behind the scenes. She was there making sure everything was organized, making sure everything was working properly. And now a problem arose it was a problem that they ran out of wine. Now, first of all, I want you to understand uh, that wine was a common drink that, especially during celebration, uh, there in the region in which Jesus lived, it was a very common, still is, very common drink. Now, uh, fruit juices and things like that, you couldn't put them up because they would eventually ruin, but wine, it would have been fermented, and so as it was fermented, it, it, it wouldn't ruin, right? It wouldn't go, it, it, it would it'd be able to last for a long time. You'd be able to set it up in that heat, in that very dry climate. But I want you to understand something before we get too far into this text and get to the point of all that is going on here. The Word of God 
strongly, strongly forbids drunkenness. Amen? It strongly forbids getting drunk. And so as we begin to look at this, the Bible also strongly forbids drinking strong drink, right? You know, so if, if that drink, for instance, moonshine, you know, or something like that, if that drink, if, if you could light it on fire, it probably doesn't have any business going on in your body, right? You probably don't have any business consuming that. And so as the Word of God strongly forbids drunkenness and strongly forbids uh, that strong drink, the Bible doesn't specifically condemn wine. In fact, they used it on a regular basis, but they would also dilute it. It was fermented, but they would, they would dilute it. So you'd have to drink quite a lot of it to actually make you drunk the purpose of it was not to make you drunk. The purpose was to be a beverage for them, especially during a time of celebration. Now, I'm what the old timers used to call teetotalers, right? And what is a teetotaler? That means you just stay away from that stuff all the way together, right? All, all the way around. You just stay away from alcohol. It does no good. All alcohol does is ruin, right? And so I want to tell you right now, I'm not, gonna, I'm not preaching a message about alcohol. We'll get into the point, but uh, you know why I'm chasing that rabbit? I'll just go right ahead and say that alcohol is the most deadly drug on the planet. Hey, well, it's not a drug. It intoxicates you, doesn't it? It messes with your mind, doesn't it? It is a drug. And it is the most deadly drug on the planet. So I just say stay away from it altogether. Not to mention, you know, even if you don't have a problem with it, you could be a stumbling block to somebody else that does have a problem with it. So I just say stay away from it all the way, all uh, together. And so as we look at this, the problem arose, back to the scriptures, the problem arose, they ran out of, they ran out of wine. And so when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus comes up to him to just tell them we ran out of wine. So back in verse 4 in John chapter 2, the Bible says, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now when we look at that, when we look at that verse right there in our culture, in our ways, we look at that and said, man, he was kind of sharp with his mama, wasn't he? He was, he was kind of rude. Uh, when she comes to him, Jesus, we've run out of wine. Woman, what does that have to do with us? That's how we read it, right? That's how we look at it. But I want you to understand that's not at all what happened right there. In fact, when you look in that culture to, to say to uh, an, another woman uh, back then was basically to say to them, ma'am, or something along that line. In fact, it was a very common greeting to another lady as we would say, ma'am, yes, ma'am, or, or even as we'd greet them, we would say to them, ma'am, it was a very common greeting uh, back then. In fact, when you look in John chapter 20, uh, there it is that Jesus had been buried. Jesus had uh, uh, risen from the grave and there uh, some of the ladies came to the grave to visit Jesus and they, they realized that he wasn't there. And so as we look in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, it says Mary, it was Mary Magdalene, Mary was standing outside of the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stood and, and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels while uh, sitting at the head of uh, Two angels uh, sitting at one at the head of and one at the feet uh, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? So they said the exact same thing that Jesus said to his mother, woman, why are you weeping? So it's not the way that we would interpret it or the way that we would take it today. So, and you, um, 
Look at that. They asked her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken my, uh, away my Lord, and I do not know where they had taken him. And then she said uh, this as she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? So, so twice, right there in that text of Scripture alone, you see this exact same phrase. But again, it'd be the exact same way we would say, ma'am, he was not being rude to his mother whatsoever. He was not being obnoxious, right? Today, if we say that to somebody, if we're addressing a woman and we say, woman... Right? They probably they probably get upset with it. They probably get mad at us, right? So we I don't recommend doing that, but call a ma'am. And if you call a ma'am, you're showing respect. It's a sign of respect as you're speaking to somebody. We need to teach our children how to be respectful and say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and things along that line. And so as we look at this, the mother came to Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? Now, something that's interesting, the terminology that Jesus used, the wording that Jesus used right here, what does that have to do with us? So as Jesus asked this question in verse 4, what does that have to do with us? It's plural, not just me, but all of us, speaking of himself and his disciples. What does that have to do with us? He was basically responding back to his mother and saying, well, what would you like for us to do about it, right? Again, we read into that in the English uh, uh, kind of a, a rude response, but Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God, and the Word of God very te- clearly tells us that Jesus is sinless, and so He would absolutely not be disrespectful to His mother in any way, shape, or form, right? He was going to show respect to his mother. This is something that I heard a long time ago and it it really sticks in my mind. Young ladies, you listen to this. If you ever think about dating somebody and certainly if you ever think about uh, marrying somebody, look at the way that that boy uh, treats his mama. And if he treats his mama bad, don't walk, run. Amen. Get away from there as fast as you possibly can. If he treats his mama like a queen, then you chase after him. Amen. He is the one that you want to pursue. And so the way in which somebody treats their mom, whether it's with respect or disrespect, tells a whole lot about uh, that individual. Of course, we need to be respecting our mothers. We certainly need to be respecting our fathers as well. But why did Mary come to Jesus? Well, a lot of people believe that, that Joseph had now uh, was now deceased. Joseph is not mentioned in this, but Mary now comes to Jesus because Jesus is now considered to be the head of the home who is now to take care of his mother, right? That was the responsibility of the oldest son, which Jesus was, to take care of his mother after the father passes away. We know know that uh, Joseph was only the stepfather, but as we begin to recognize, this is probably why Mary came to Jesus and was asking Jesus, the question is, did, was Mary expecting Jesus here to do a miracle, to perform a miracle? Now keep in mind, as we look down in verse 11, in the same uh, chapter, chapter 2, it says, this be, uh, beginning of his signs. This was the beginning of his signs. Apostle John calls them signs. This is the very beginning, this is the very first one. He'd never done a miracle before. So some people say that Mary wasn't expecting Jesus to perform a miracle right here. And in fact, 
Jesus included all of them, what does that have to do with us? With all of us, right? How can we help you? How can all of us, myself and the disciples in this situation, how can we help in this particular situation? Now, on the flip side of that coin, you know, some people argue that Mary wasn't at all trying to get Jesus to do a miracle right here, but then as you look at the other side of the equation right here, Jesus does say, my hour has not yet come. So unless Mary wasn't trying to get him to do something spectacular, phenomenal right here, why would Jesus say that? My hour has not yet come. Now nobody knew better than Mary who Jesus was, right? Mary saw the angel and the angel said that, that though you're a virgin, right? of course I'm paraphrasing this, though you're a virgin you're going to have a child. And, and, and there it was that they discovered that the child was not any ordinary child. Of course, he was born through a virgin. He's the son of God. He's going to be the savior of his people. She saw the shepherds come and heard the story of the shepherds that came and saw the angels and, and, and they were glorifying and giving praise unto God. And she was the one that, that heard the words of Simeon as Simeon prophesied to her and spoke those words to her. And so she knew better than anybody exactly who Jesus was Jesus saying now my hour has not yet come and so what exactly is he he meaning right here that his hour has not yet come well we look further in scripture as we look further in scripture in Matthew chapter 26 verse 18 the word of God says right here and he he being Jesus and he said go into the city uh, to a certain man and say to him the teacher says my time is near I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. What time was near? Well they were going to have the last supper that night and his time of his death was near. In fact, the Bible also tells us in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 45, it says there, as Jesus uh, was uh, getting prepared for this, he was in uh, the, the, the garden praying, and he tells his, <clears throat> tells his disciples there in Matthew 26, 45, Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. Jesus was about to be betrayed. Jesus was about to be arrested right after that. And he says, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. The hour is at hand. And so Jesus says to his mother back in John chapter 2, after she asked for the, uh, to him to provide the wine, he says, my hour has not yet come. So unless she was expecting something spectacular, why in the world would Jesus say that? At that particular time. Amen? Now, Jesus is the mother. And you know how mothers are. We all know how mothers are. They're, they're at a wedding, right? And so as they're at this wedding, and so she comes up to Jesus, and you know, may, maybe it's a different circumstance, right? Mother comes up to the child and says, uh, uh, Son, aren't you glad we're at this wedding? Oh, yeah, Mom, I'm glad we're at this wedding. Well, wouldn't it be nice if it was your wedding? <laughs> right? You are 30. You're not getting any younger, right? And so, you know, I'd I'd love to be a grandmother one of these days and just kind of nudges that along. 
Well, Jesus was 30, and as we looked at a few weeks ago, what was the significance of 30? At the age of 30, that's typically when men then who are going to be rabbis became rabbis and came out with their public ministry. And so I think Mary is kind of reminding him, Jesus, you just got baptized. You spent 40 days in the wilderness, and you're 30 years old now. You know, isn't it time for you to come out and let the whole world know who you are? Now, his hour of his death, burial, and resurrection had not yet come. But yet Jesus had already, in a sense, began his ministry because now that he came back from the wilderness, he has gathered his disciples, he's gathered his followers. Maybe she'd even heard that John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? And so Mary, being the mother that she is, maybe trying to nudge him along a little bit. Now, she certainly had no influence on this. Everything that that Jesus did was led by the Spirit and designed by the Father. Amen? But Mary knew the time for his public appearance and for the world to find out who he was. She'd been waiting 30 years for this day. Of course, she didn't know how it was all going to end as of yet, but she'd been waiting for this time to come in anticipation. So maybe it was that she was nudging him along. But as Jesus says, this is not yet my hour. (laughs) His mother turns around in verse 5 and says, the Bible says his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever her intention was, Jesus says not yet my hour. She didn't really listen to that. (laughs) She just kind of turned around to the servant and said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, when it comes to advice about Jesus, isn't that the greatest advice that any of us could take? Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Right? Whatever it is that he tells you to do, you be sure to do it. Now, when we look at this and we look at this text of Scripture, it goes on. And it says in verse 6, it says, Now there were six water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification uh, containing uh, 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. Now think about this. They, They needed wine, right? And so Jesus says, Fill the water pots up. Don't need more water. We've got an abundance of water. What do we need more water for? We need wine. That's the issue here. This doesn't make any sense. Why are we worried about water when it's wine that we need? But what did they do? Even though it didn't make any sense to them, they were obedient to Jesus, and they did exactly what Jesus told them to do, and they filled those six water pots up to the brim. In other words, they filled them up to the point to where... They could not be full anymore, not filled anymore, right? All the way to the brim. You try to put any more water in there, it's going to spill out. And by the way, if you sneak some wine in there and trying to pour a little, pull a little magic trick, you sneak some wine in there and trying to trick somebody thinking that you did a miracle, well, it's not going to hold that either because it's full of water now, right? So this was a teaching lesson for these servants there that was listening to Jesus and doing exactly what Jesus said to do. Friends, if we want to be blessed by God, we need to do exactly what Jesus 
said to do. Amen? Exactly. Even if it doesn't make any sense to us at the time. Because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the what next. We don't. Amen? All we might know is we don't have any wine right now, but Jesus knows what's about to take place. So they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They filled the water up to the brim. And in verse 8 it says, And he said to them, Draw out uh, some water now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become, become wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water, uh, the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now now think about this for just a minute Jesus tells the servants fill the water pots up to the brim right fill it fill the water pots up so they fill them to the brim now the second thing that he tells them to do they know there's water in there nothing but water in there because they're the ones that put the water in there right now draw some out and take it to the head waiter right kind of like the ancient day best man, right? Go take it to the head waiter, take it to the ancient day best man, take it to him. And so it's, he, he, they did exactly what Jesus, they scooped up some water, they brought it to the head waiter. They're probably thinking to themselves, well, we're going to get in trouble now. The head waiter's going to be wondering, what, what in the world are you bringing me water for? Right? We, we need wine. And so the head waiter tastes what was in the very cup that they drew out of that they knew was water. And so he tastes it, and as he tastes it, it they, he totally floors the servants. They're the only ones that know at this point. He totally floors the servants. He said, why did you serve, save the best wine to last? Calls the, calls the uh, bridegroom up and says, why did you save the best wine for, la for last? Could you imagine those servants? They're probably looking at each other in bewilderment. Right? Wondering, what in the world? Just took place. What in the world happened? Amen. And so as we think about that and look at this, here it was. It was a miracle nobody yet knew about. The servants knew about it. The disciples no doubt saw this taking place. But the head waiter wasn't in on it. The bridegroom wasn't in on it. Saved the best wine for last. The best wine was the aged wine. Amen. Now, I don't know anything about wine, but, but I, I know enough to know this, that it's the aged wine that is the best wine. It's the old stuff. Been around for a long time. It's well-aged, right? But Jesus just made it. Jesus, who is God, the very Son of God, made it. Therefore, what He does is absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. Some people say, well, I don't believe... Uh, I don't believe in creation because as you, you date the earth, the earth shows itself to be millions and millions of years old. But let's not forget that when God created, He created uh, with a landscape that had trees, full-grown trees on it that was bearing fruit. <laughs> he created a mature earth. Amen? And so when we think about that, here he, Jesus created the best wine. He created the mature wine. So as we begin to look at this, here it is that this phenomenal miracle has taken place, this phenomenal miracle that we find within the Word of God that took place, which was the very first miracle of Jesus. 
But I believe that there's some very interesting symbolism that we find here within this text of Scripture. First of all, it was on the third day that this miracle took place. What's the significance of the third day? Jesus rose up from the grave on the third day. Jesus told his mother, it's not my hour yet, but we do know that Jesus was, was crucified, he was buried, and that he did rise up from the grave on the third day. In fact, Jesus, when he asked the others, uh, when some others asked him for a sign, he said, if you want a sign, look at, look at Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, and then three days later, Later he came out, so shall it be with the Son of Man. Amen? There's your greatest miracle right there. The greatest miracle that has ever taken place that Jesus Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave, and He didn't just do it for Him. He did it for you and I. That is the greatest, most phenomenal, most spectacular miracle that has ever taken place. And when you see somebody saved, that's the greatest miracle you're going to ever witness right there. Amen? Somebody that was dead that came to life. Somebody that was bound to hell is now bound for glory. That was somebody that was snatched out of the very pits of hell. Amen? That's the greatest miracle you'll ever see within your life. There was, it's on the third day that this took place. I believe it symbolizes the third day of the resurrection is also at a wedding. Guess who the church is? The bride of Christ. That a wedding. We're the bride of Christ. Not only was that at a wedding, it's interesting that there were six water pots that was filled with water. And what was the purpose of those water pots? Those water pots were there for the purpose of purification. It was there that those water pots, the water was drawn out to wash the feet. The water was drawn out to wash the hands. The water was drawn out to wash even the cups and the utensils and everything that was used within them. They didn't wash it inside of the water pot, but the water was drawn out of those water pots for the pure purpose of purification. And so here it was, there's six water pots. What's the, the, what's the significance of six? There's a lot of numerical uh, references within the Bible. We know from the book of Revelation that the number six represents that of a man. As the number of a man. Amen? So what is this it's representing man? Man is about to be purified in the water that is within them that does absolutely Nothing, because what did Jesus tell the Pharisees? He said, you know, you, you wash yourself up on the outside, and you're like whitewashed tombs on the outside. You, you look pretty good on the outside, but inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Doesn't do you any good. We also see the significance of the water, when we look there in the very next chapter, in John chapter 3, as Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, as Jesus talks to Nicodemus, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. How can a man enter back into his mother womb, mother's womb in his old age and be born again? But then Jesus says to him this in John chapter 3 and verse 5. He says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be born of the water? Well, when you, right before the mother gives birth, her water breaks. And he is born out of the flesh, but he must be born again, both of the water and of 
the spirit and what is the significance of the water turning into wine. It is the transformation that takes place. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 9, as he told this parable, he said, you don't put new wine in old wineskin. You put the new wine in the old wineskin. What's going to happen to that wineskin? It's going to burst. What do you do? You put new wine in new wineskins. Well, what's the significance of that? The wine is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. That new wine, that new life. Amen? Symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so the old life has died and the new life has come. They've been born again. The water's gone. It's no longer there. You now filled with wine, which is a symbolic representation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But what's also interesting as we look at this, God saves the best for last. Amen? God saves the best for last. Oh, friends, the best is yet to come. Amen? You might be the most abundantly blessed person on the face of this earth right now, and the best is still yet to come. You might have lived a life of sorrow, but be encouraged. The best is yet to come. Amen? When we stand there in glory with Jesus forever and ever and ever and all eternity because we have been born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I believe what he is saying, because John chapter 3 is right after this. I believe he's giving us a symbolic picture through turning the water into the wine in those six water pots that represent, uh, represent mankind at the wedding, representing the very fact that we are the bride of Christ on the third day, all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Amen? When we look at that, it's all provided through the blood of Christ as Jesus passed that cup. And that last supper, He said, in this cup is the new covenant, which is my blood. Amen? What was that cup full of? It was full of wine. But it represents the new covenant. That is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? There's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle that can ever take place, will ever take place, is not Jesus turning the water into wine, but Jesus saving souls. Amen? Souls being saved for the kingdom of God. So when we begin to think about this, what was the purpose of Jesus doing this? The Bible tells us very clearly what the purpose in this was in verse 11. Verse 11 in chapter 2, it says, This being his uh, signs, Jesus, uh, this, be uh, this beginning of his signs, Jesus did uh, in uh, Canaan of Galilee and manifest his glory, number one, and his disciples believed. In him. Now, last week we looked at the fact that Jesus unfolded the scriptures to his disciples. When they unfolded the scriptures, to, uh, he unfolded the scriptures to his disciples. They declared him as the Messiah. This then reinforced this because there, who knew about this? Only the disciples and those handful of servants that was there, filling the water pot, pot and dipping 
the, what they thought was water but was actually wine. They're the only ones that knew about this. Now the whole world knows about this, but at that time they were the only ones. And the Bible says his disciples believed. You know, whenever we see God's hand move in whatever way that that might be, whether it's an answer to prayer, whether it's a phenomenal miracle, or whether it's somebody that we see that, that gets saved, whatever it is, let us strengthen our faith in Jesus. Now, ultimately, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, but even when we read of the miracles in the Word of God and we know that they're true, we know that God's Word is true, our faith is strengthened. Amen? In fact, when we look in the Word of God, we see a couple of things right here. We see a couple of truths right here about these miracles that take place. And uh, we, we find that it, when, when we begin to see miracles take place, we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 20, when here it was, that uh, 22, he says that when Jesus uh, was first being proclaimed, that he resurrected when Peter was preaching that message. Men of Israel... Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst as you yourself know. You can't deny that. <laughs> Amen? You can't deny that. Just like the man that was lowered down in the pallet, the, 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 the lame man that was lowered down from the roof on the pallet that was put at the feet of Jesus. He said, your sins are forgiven you. Pharisees were there saying, well, who could forgive sins but God alone? I would have said exactly. Amen, but Jesus didn't say that. Instead, he said, which is easier to say to this man that his sins are forgiven you or to say to this man, rise up, take your pallet and walk. But to show that he had the authority to forgive sins, you know what he did? He told him, rise up, take your pallet and walk. And he did. I can tell you, your sins are forgiven. Amen. I don't have the authority to forgive your sins. No other man. No other man has the authority to forgive sin. Only God. He did that as a demonstration that he did. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. So as we look at this, so, you know, I'd like to see a miracle take place in my life. I'd like to see a miracle take place in somebody else's. I like to see somebody that God just do a phenomenal work in their life. Well, we need to do it just like they did it here in the Scripture. In John chapter 2, Mary came to Jesus knowing that He was able. We need to come to Jesus knowing that He was able. She put a request in front of Jesus. Jesus, this is what we need. We need to put a request in front of Jesus. Jesus, this is what we need. And we need to, by faith, believe that He can. Amen? That's all in God's timing. 
Mary didn't force Jesus to do this. She couldn't have. He wasn't going to do anything that was in disobedience to the Father or wasn't led by the Spirit. It's all in God's timing. But as we trust in the Lord and we continue to come before the Lord and we pray and we seek and we ask, we need to be like those servants that take the advice of Mary, do everything He tells you to do. And we need to simply live in obedience. Amen? And then stand in awe when the miracle takes place. I didn't think that guy would ever get saved, but oh, praise God, he did. Praise God, he did. When I was saved, friends, I was a heathen, a heathen. I was at my mama's funeral, the pastor that was preaching my mama's funeral. I tried to give him a little bit of money for doing her funeral, and he said, no, I don't want your money. He said, why don't you come to church Sunday, put it in the plate, no, I don't do church. I don't want anything to do with it. He wouldn't take my money. I turned around with the walk off. His name's Larry Lastly, by the way, pastor up in Bogalus, Louisiana. He grabbed me by the arm. He slung me around. He looked me in the eye and he said, Rusty, he said, I'm not going to stop praying for you until you get saved. I can't tell you how furious that made me. <laughs> I was mad. I was lit up. I ran out of there. How dare he talk to me like that? Well, I was lost and dying and going to hell. He knew it. Everybody knew it. Guess what? Sixty some odd days later, I got saved. And he wasn't the one who led me to the Lord. It was another pastor that led me to the Lord. But I have no doubt that man of God was true to his word and he was praying for me that I'd get saved. I came to church, I walked down the aisle. I'd already gotten saved, but I walked down the aisle, made it public, gave about half the church a heart attack. Amen. They all knew me, knew who I was and where I'd been. God did a work in my life. Listen, if he could save me, he could save anybody. There is nothing impossible to those who believe how do i know that because the word of god tells me amen jesus himself said that there is nothing impossible to those who believe we keep praying we keep seeking we live in obedience and we stand in all of Right now, maybe there's something or someone you need to pray for as our praise team makes their way up this direction. Would you stand? Something or someone that you need to pray for. Listen, I'd be glad to pray with you. Amen? I'd be more than happy to pray with you. This altar's open. You could turn this into the altar right now and start praying seeking the face of God, laying it down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, I have a problem, and I need you. You're the only one who can do it. I come to you asking.
Would you do that today? Right now, you may be here and you may not be saved. You may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today, I invite you. Allow God to perform a miracle in your life and bring you out of death and bring you into life. Amen. Would you do that today? Trust in Jesus. Call on Him. Anything else in your heart or mind God's dealing with you about, I'm up here, this altar's open. You come as God so leads.